Ready? Born ready. What's up? You are tuning in to another episode of Where the Party At, your favorite political podcast. I am your host, Saba Long. As always, thank you for rocking with us. If you are a regular, if you are a newbie, welcome to the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so go ahead and hit that subscribe button. So every Tuesday, you've got the show coming to you automatically. All right, y'all, let's get right into it. First, we are going to talk about something locally that happened in Atlanta, the Atlanta Civic Center. This story might feel a little bit like some inside baseball, so let me try to explain what the heck happened here. So y'all know the Atlanta Civic Center has been shut down and vacant for a minute now. So back in 2017, the Atlanta Housing Authority bought it from the city of Atlanta for about $31 million dollars. They tapped this company to develop the property, but that company at some point ended up backing out. I don't remember why they said they were going to back out. So then this year, Atlanta Housing put out a request for developers to uh, bid to redevelop the property. So on May 25th, so last month, that was a Wednesday, the Atlanta Housing Board, which by the way, if you recall from a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that Mayor Andre Dickens nominated four new people to the board. So that Atlanta Housing Board, for their first board meeting for the new folks, they voted to award the Atlanta Housing uh, Atlanta Civic Center project to Tishman Spire. That is a New York-based firm. So again, that was on Tuesday, May 25th. By like Monday or Tuesday of the next week, Tishman publicly pulled out of the deal and said, nah, we don't want this project. Uh, so just for context, this is a billion dollar redevelopment. Uh, what Tishman had proposed was 1,300 residences, a hotel, offices, and then obviously they would have had to have done something with the actual civic center space. Uh, in their proposal, they said they were going to allocate 430 of the 1,300 residences to affordable. So those would be affordable apartment units. Now, Tishman's definition of affordable is 100% of something called AMI, Area Median Income. So the AMI for this part of town is $86,000 for a family of four. So to put that in perspective... A teacher at APS in their first year, that's someone with a bachelor's degree, is making less than $50,000 a year. So why did Tishman pull out? There's some speculation that Atlanta Housing wanted them to do uh, more affordable and have more affordable units. The head of the Atlanta Housing said that they're going to go back to the previous companies that bid and ask them to basically give the equivalent of a best and final offer. Um, you know, what I find interesting about this is Tishman Spire is the same company, this name might ring a bell for you. This is the same company that pulled out of redeveloping the mall at West End. 
So on this story, I'm going to let George Bush take us out on this one. There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once. Shame on shame on you. It fooled me. We can't get fooled again. All right. Y'all know that the primary election uh, was at the end of last month. And then we've got the primary runoff happening this month. Now, there have been some ballot issues in Cobb and DeKalb counties. So in DeKalb, they literally just certified the results for the open District 2 commissioner seat. This one was crazy bizarre. So one of the candidates, she realized that she was showing zero people had voted for her on Election Day, which is a huge red flag. That is that is extraordinarily uh, unlikely to happen. So the county looked into it and she went from being in third place to catapulting to first place. Now, the guy that was originally in first place fell to third. So they basically just did a switch. And because of that, he did not make the runoff election, which is going on right now. So he understandably has asked the Georgia Bureau of Investigations to look into it and see what the heck is going on. Uh, By the way, just in case you're wondering, these were all Democratic candidates. Um, And then because of what happened in DeKalb, Cobb County is doing a hand audit, a hand recount at one of its precincts. This is for the failed Vinings cityhood referendum that failed by about 300 votes. So the folks in charge of that referendum saw what happened in DeKalb and said, hey, we want to do a recount, an audit of the election in Cobb. And then one more kind of election security peculiarity thing. This is a bit troubling. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, they just issued a report saying that the touchscreens that you use when you go vote have security vulnerabilities. Now, the Secretary of State's office has said, hey, nothing has happened. Those vulnerabilities have not been actually like no one has tried to hack the system, or at least no one has successfully hacked the system. Uh, All I would say is I need you guys to get this stuff fixed before the November election. And then obviously, be great to have everything fixed before the runoff, uh, which is this month. An interesting thing happened over the weekend that pissed off a lot of Democrats. So a pro-Herschel Walker political action committee, um, they did something that got them a ton of earned media. They posted up at Atlanta gas station and handed out $25 gas vouchers uh, in total they gave out $4,000 worth of gas. They had like volunteers with signs that read, and I quote, gas prices are high, Warnock isn't working. Um, now, y'all have heard me mention on the show many times that Raphael Warnock has been pushing the Senate to pass a temporary suspension of the federal gas tax. Of course, here in Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp has already suspended the state gas tax until at least after the 4th of July holiday. So, is it legal for a political group to give out a check for free gas with a Herschel Walker campaign flyer? So, the AJC first reported this story, and they talked to some of the lawyers who said, it's legal, but maybe it's a question about is it ethical? Now, I vaguely remember last year during the mayoral election, there was some issue with Slutty Vegan and Kasim Reed giving out free burgers to folks who showed their voter sticker. 
Uh, but anyway, back to the Herschel group. So a lawyer for the pro-Herschel group, who's actually a former Trump lawyer, said that the gas giveaway was perfectly legal uh, because there wasn't a requirement for the person getting that voucher to be in a campaign ad or to go vote for Herschel. But I've got to ask, what's the difference between posting photos on social media of people with that $25 check at the gas pump uh, with the Herschel Walker, the pro Herschel Walker, you know, flyer? What's the difference between that and an ad? Um, It seems kind of similar. I don't know. Now, of course, again, Democrats are crying foul and they're saying this is a political stunt and they don't think it's legal. But let me also tell you about something a pro Stacey Abrams group did last year. So they donated just over uh, $1.3 million to a nonprofit that paid off medical debt for 69,000 people in Georgia plus folks in a few other states like Alabama, Arizona, and Louisiana. At the time, an advisor to the Stacey Abrams PAC said, what is so important about this is the tie between Medicaid expansion and just crushing medical debt. That's what the uh, advisor to the PAC said. Now, Stacey Abrams, no surprise, is running to expand Medicaid. So what's the difference between what the pro-Herschel Walker PAC did and what the pro-Stacey Abrams PAC did? Kind of seems similar. You know, Democrats and Republicans both make a lot of assumptions about each other. Sometimes they're accurate and sometimes they don't quite hold up. Democrats like to say that Republicans always get in line. Right. So this makes a lot of sense if you think about Republicans as being pro-hierarchy and against challenging established rules and procedures. Right. So once their party goes a certain way, everyone else falls in line and they say, "Okay, this is what we are going to do. We see this in the conversation about abortion access. We're seeing it right now in the conversation about guns. But Republicans in Georgia are not quite in a single file line yet. Now, they may get there by Election Day. So where am I going with this? So there is a rift right now between the Republican activists, a.k.a. Trump supporters, and the establishment candidates. The state GOP party chair, this guy named David Schaefer, he is a pro-Trump guy. He quietly backed Purdue over Kemp. He frequently blamed Raffensperger for Trump losing Georgia. And now, obviously, Schaefer and the state party have to work together to make sure that Kemp, Herschel, and the rest of the Republican ticket wins in November. But the activists in the party could end up being a wild card. There's just so much bitterness between the state party and folks like Kemp that maybe that lack of trust could end up impacting their ability to run a well-coordinated, well-thought-out campaign. But what's interesting is the Georgia GOP isn't the only party experiencing a trust deficit with a particular block of voters. So what's the smoke on the Democratic side? Well, there are four statewide candidates in a runoff. Each seat has at least one Black person. And there's some heat around some of the Black candidates just simply not being taken seriously by the party and by the establishment. Let me run down these seats. Secretary of State, you've got B. Wynn, who's a Vietnamese American, versus D. Dawkins Hagler, a black woman. 
Lieutenant Governor, you have Kwanzaa Hall, that's a name you've all heard on the show, versus Charlie Bailey, a white man. Then in Labor Commissioner, you have William Bodie, black guy, he's a current state rep, versus Nicole Horn, a white woman and a first-time candidate. And then finally, you have the Insurance Commissioner seat, that is Janice Laws versus Raphael Baker. Now, that race is actually between two black people, uh, but in the primary, a lot of Metro Atlanta Democrats were backing Matthew Wilson, the white guy in the race. So Stacey Abrams, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia, has publicly endorsed B. Wynn, Charlie Bailey, and William Bodie. So the only black person Stacey has endorsed in the statewide seats is William Bodie for labor commissioner. So meanwhile, as that's happening, you've got local black leaders across the region and across the state endorsing D. Dawkins Hagler, Kwanzaa Hall, and William Bodie, and then to some extent Janice Laws, the insurance commissioner. So again, the local black leaders are endorsing the black candidates. So D, who was running for Secretary of State, D. Dawkins Hagler, the black woman, is Big mad. Here's what she said to an outlet, and I quote, When black people on the ticket are the most experienced, don't discriminate against us because we're black. When we're offering our civil service, we're being told the ticket might appear too black. The whites and the black leadership who did not serve when I was in the House are saying, if there's too many black people on this ticket, it's going to hurt them. Again, that's a quote that she gave the media. Now, just as a reminder, Black voters make up about 64% of Democratic voters in Georgia. The reality in Georgia for Democratic candidates is if Black folks don't rock with you, you are going to lose. Exhibit A and B, Jason Carter and Michelle Nunn. We even saw this in the last Atlanta election, Felicia Moore. Remember, Black voters did not rock with Felicia and she lost. So we will see what happens next. By the way, I mentioned earlier that the runoff election is starting. Now is the time to request an absentee ballot. Friday, June 10th is the last day to submit an absentee ballot application. June 13th, that's Monday, in-person early voting begins. And then June 21st is the last day to vote. You can always go to sos.ga.gov to look up your primary runoff ballot. Then remember, for early voting, you can vote at any early voting precinct. But on June 21st, you have to vote at your local precinct. All right, y'all, there is a new term circulating in politics today. Christian nationalism. Have you heard of this? It is basically the idea that Christian values should be represented throughout American public policy. This is a particularly... Uh, a cute idea amongst white Christians. Obviously, if you've been around Southern politics, you know that this is not remotely new. Uh, Christians, especially Republicans, have long believed that America is destined by God. And then Christians generally are opposed to abortion, to same-sex marriage, and anything related to the LGBT community. Uh, those are particularly true as it relates to conservative Christians. So you might remember the debates about prayer in schools and if the Ten Commandments should be displayed in government buildings like courthouses, um, or even 
you know, the separation of church and state. Well, in Christian nationalism, there is no such thing as the separation of church and state. And then within Christian nationalism, you'll probably hear more often the phrase white Christian nationalism, because not surprisingly, the data shows on issues like abortion, gun rights, or even police brutality, black Christians and white Christians differ greatly. And this also can help you understand why black voters are more likely to vote for Democrats. Um, So there's two big questions that I think Americans are going to be struggling with over the next few years. Number one, is America the last hope for Christianity? Uh, And number two, is Christian nationalism a threat to democracy? Now, this conversation in our country, it's happening at a time when religious identity and attendance at religious institutions across the board, no matter if it's Christian or other religions, is at an all-time low. Um, And it's also at a time where we're having a conversation about race in the country. Um, I can't recall who said this, but someone famously said the most segregated hour in America is Sunday, right, when people are attending church. So in this like this conversation about Christian nationalism, is it a threat to democracy? Take a listen to a segment of America's favorite congressperson, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from her show. Take a listen to this. If Christian nationalism is something to be scared of, they're lying to you. And they're lying to you on purpose because that is exactly the temperature change that is happening in America today, and they can't control it. They can't control it, and that's what terrifies them the most. You see, if, it, if we're going to label it Christian nationalism, this movement will actually be the movement that stops the school shootings. This will be the movement that stops the crime in our streets. This will be the movement that stops the sexual immorality and teaches children and brings them up in in traditional families and loving homes. This will be the movement that protects kids' innocence and nurtures them into responsible adults that grow up to be successful moms and dads wanting to pursue uh, a family of their own. This will be the movement that that finally does something about our debt because it's something that all of us should be ashamed of. It should have never happened. This will be the movement that cares about broken and lost communities, communities that are always forgotten about. Christians should never forget about those people, and we don't. So while the media is going to lie about you and label Christian nationalism, and they're probably going to call it domestic terrorism, I'm going to tell you right now, they're the liars. And if anybody's a domestic terrorist, it's the radical left. They are the domestic terrorist. We could even say the Democrats are domestic terrorists because they funded them and they burned down our city streets and rioted in 2020. So if we're going to put labels on people, we should put labels where they appropriately belong, not on Christians and not on people who love their country and want to take care of it. So there are a couple of professors who've been tracking this white Christian nationalism movement over time. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes So check that out to see an article about their work. Uh, You're going to be hearing a lot about this Christian nationalism, white Christian nationalism throughout this election cycle. And again, I think you'll be hearing it uh, in 2024 as well. I think I mentioned in last week's uh, show about how much Herschel Walker uses Christian language in his interviews. He frequently talks about his faith about Christ, about his personal relationship with God, 
about how much he loves God. I mean, he uses this type of language consistently and repeatedly. Um, and a part of me thinks is just a counter to the fact that he's running against a pastor. Uh, and then part of me thinks that he's doing this as a way to corral the evangelical vote um, and to make sure that they help get him into office. So this whole conversation about Christian nationalism, I personally find quite fascinating. Um, and it's, again, it's something that we have seen throughout American uh, history in this conversation about, or is America this country that is predestined by God to rule everyone, right? Uh, to rule them all. Okay, next on the show, we are going to give you an update on something we often do about every two weeks or so. Of course, unions. So Microsoft proactively came out and said they will always have a direct line, uh, their employees, between the management and the employees, uh, particularly if they choose to unionize. Um, so they did this proactively. They said, hey, we understand and respect the rights of workers to organize at Microsoft uh, and, quote, we are committed to creative and collaborative approaches, unquote, uh, to work with the unions. And this was in a, a blog post uh, that was done by the president and vice chair, uh, this guy named Brad Smith. So why is Microsoft proactively having this conversation in the public sphere? Because they recently are, are bought or in the middle of buying Activision Blizzard that if you are a gamer, you know that company, they release Call of Duty. And so a studio owned by Activision recently voted to form a union. Now, what I thought was interesting in the last line of the blog post by Brad Smith was this point here, and I quote, none of us ever knows precisely what changes the future will bring, but we're willing to bet that a company that listens to and works well with its employees is likely to have a winning hand. All right, so we will see uh, if Microsoft's actions match their words on this. Uh on Starbucks, uh, Starbucks just closed down a store in Ithaca, New York, that voted to unionize. Uh, now, the reason that they gave was facility issues, staffing, and some time and attendance issues. Now, it's not clear if those workers are going to be placed in other stores immediately or if they're going to have to go through some type of formal rehiring process. No surprise, the Starbucks union is crying foul and calling this an act of retaliation. By the way, more than 100 Starbucks stores have now voted to unionize. They officially crossed the 100 mark. All right, on to our favorite part of the show, party starters and party poopers. Let's get it started in What's rule number one? Party. Now, I, I, you know, I haven't talked a lot about the Uvalde massacre, uh, but I am going to point this out in the party starter for this week. Uh, the Uvalde massacre, the more that comes out about this is becoming is just is more and more enraging. It's just wild uh, what has continued to come out about this. So I am making this week's party starter the mom who ran into the school to save her children. Now, we heard about this brave woman not long after the shooting took place. Um, 
Take a listen to what she said to reporters. Arrest you because you're being very uncooperative. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me because I'm going in there. And I'm telling you right now, I don't see none of y'all in there. Y'all are standing with snipers and y'all are far away. I'm, if y'all don't go in there, I'm going in there. He right, immediately put me in cuffs. She says after Uvalde police officers told marshals to uncuff Gomez, she ran towards the school. As soon as they uncuffed me, I jumped that first gate fence. And once I jumped it, I went to my son's class and I knocked on the door and I remember the teacher saying, um, I'm like, hey, they're already, they're already um, bulge cutting the fence to get me. She's like, you think we have time to get out? I said, you have time. I'm going to run for my other son. Once she was assured her son was OK, Gomez ran to get her other child, encountering more officers who tried to stop her. So I start yelling and I'm being a cooperative and I'm like, well, y'all aren't doing shit. What are y'all doing? Y'all ain't doing shit. Y'all need to be in here. Give me your best. Somebody give me a best. I'm something. I started paying attention to how far the shots were being so that I knew the shooter was all the way still by my first son's class. So when I went to my son, my second son's door, the teacher didn't want to open the door for me. So that's when they started um, escorting me out. And as I, as I see that they're opening my son's door, I go run for my son and I get him. With both of her kids out safe, Gomez still can't shake the thought of those who didn't make it. While you were inside the school, did you see officers there was inside not one the school? Officer inside the school when I in ran the to my second son class. There was not one officer. And you were hearing gunshots, so you knew you that could hear the it gunshots. was an active shooter. It was still active. The gunshots were still active. They were not in there. There was no one in there. If anything, when I pulled up, my car was closer to the school than, the, where, than where the snipers and everybody that was laying on the ground were. When you heard that it took law enforcement 75 minutes before they went in and stopped the shooter, what was your thinking, having been inside the school yourself? I don't know. I was just thinking that they could have saved many more lives. They could have gone into that classroom and maybe two or three would have been gone, but they could have saved a whole, a whole more, the whole class. They could have done something, gone through the window, sniped them through the window. I mean something but nothing was being done if anything they were being more aggressive on us parents that were willing to go in there and like i told one of the officers i don't need you to protect me get away from me i don't need your protection if anything i need you to go in there with me to go protect my kids and if anything they were being more aggressive on us they were more pertain on keeping us back than getting into that school now media outlets were trying to get her earlier to share her story but she wasn't talking the reason why she was on probation for something that happened a decade ago, and she was being threatened by law enforcement that if she kept talking to reporters, she would face a violation of obstruction of justice. Now, somehow a judge heard about this and reduced her probation. So whoever threatened her in law enforcement, that person or persons should be kicked off the force. And then secondly, why in the world do you need to be on probation for a decade? Insane. So this week's party starter is that brave woman who went and saved her children. And then I guess a bit goes to the judge um, who heard about this and said, you are not going to tamper this woman's ability to share her story. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> the party is over. Close the gates. What? Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. And then on to the party poopers. I'm going to make this week's party pooper the Democrats who don't seem to understand that black voters are not 
happy. What am I talking about? Here are some results from a recent Washington Post poll that should absolutely alarm the Democratic establishment and be a warning sign to Georgia candidates. So first up, 9 in 10 Black voters backed Biden in 2020, but now only 6 in 10 say he is keeping his campaign promises. Biden's approval rating is lowest among Black Americans ages 18 to 39. And then 9 in 10 Black voters say that they would vote for the Democratic candidate in House elections, but only 49% say the outcome of this November's election matters a great deal to them. 49%. That is a significant red flag. Now, the November election, as is every election, obviously, is about turnout. And if Black voters don't feel that their voices are being heard and that the election doesn't matter, Democrats are going to lose, period. Now, it's up to the individual candidates to figure out the right message and plans to make sure that Black voters are heard. Uh, Individual candidates should not rely on the Democratic Party alone to make that message and point clear. So we will see what ends up happening, obviously. But again, those are incredibly alarming numbers. uh, And I'm hoping that the Democratic establishment is paying attention. All right, y'all, that is today's show. Uh, There's one thing I didn't get a chance to talk about this week, but I'll try to get to it next week. California issued a report about the impact of slavery and discrimination in America, uh, but particularly in California. This was just a preliminary report. Uh, the full one is going to be due next year. It's about five or six hundred pages, so I obviously need to like read through it before we talk about it. Uh, but I just want to flag it. So if you have the time, like go check it out and then we'll talk about it on next week's show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Where the Party At. Don't forget to tell your family, friends, uh, neighbors to tune in to the show. And then, again, a final reminder, early voting starts June 13th for the primary runoff election. If you plan to vote absentee, go get your request in right now to vote absentee. Again, thank you for tuning in. Have a great day. 